You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. give the power back to you, back to the state, that totally changes. And Washington, which is hardwired for them to do well, now has to come to you and get your approval for these things. I'm about you having that power. Well, I'm glad. All right. So there is a little uh, uh, soundbite from uh, from Senator Cassidy talking about the uh, now- uh, dead in the water, uh, Graham Cassidy bill, Republicans' last uh, effort in the foreseeable, reasonable future to uh, fulfill their promise to the American people to uh, at, at least at some level repeal slash replace slash do something sort of kind of about Obamacare. Welcome to the Doctor's Lounge. This is Mike Karuchak, your host. Uh, we are uh, proud to still be broadcasting on America's Web Radio on Thursday mornings, and we are delighted to also be available to you on podcast, which, quite frankly, is how many of you uh, uh, download our program at your convenience. We thank you for your continued support. We are sponsored by uh, America's Web Radio, of course, and the Docs for Patient Care Foundation. We are, of course, a 501c3. We are dedicated to free market solutions for the problems facing our healthcare system today. Um, occasionally in the career of a physician, uh, and it hasn't happened to me since I've been out of training, but occasionally uh, we are called on to perform the grim task of pronouncing a patient dead. Uh, that involves obviously a trip to the bedside and an assessment and listening to the heart and lungs and all of these sort of dutiful things and, and rituals that we do before uh, completing that grim task. Uh, I think now at a, at, a, at a social level, at a political level, I think we're pretty close to that same uh, situation uh, regarding uh, our, our attempts, uh, the, the attempts of the Congress of the United States and uh, the federal government to uh, repeal Obamacare. So uh, we're going to talk about that today with our very special guest, Twyla Brace, who is the uh, engineer, uh, the genius behind a movement called the Wedge of Healthcare Freedom. And we are going to talk about the Graham Cassidy bill a bit, but uh, I want uh, Twyla to, to give us uh, an update on some of the work that she is doing uh, here at the top of the hour. So Twyla, thanks again so much. I know you are so busy these days, so I appreciate you uh, giving uh, some time to, uh, to chat today. Sure, I'm glad to be here. Happy to uh, talk about all of these moving pieces and parts. Um, yes, we started the we launched the Wedge of Health Freedom in uh, the summer of 2016, and have been adding practices ever since, and now have more than 200 practices all around the country that are on. And we know that there's so many more that could be added, but all of these practices are those that are third-party payer-free. So they uh, they don't deal with insurance and they don't deal with the government, but they're welcome to see any patients, whether they're uninsured, uh, insured, or, you know, in some sort of a public health 
program or a government program. Um, the whole purpose of the wedge was to identify for the American people this free trade zone that is happening uh, in this country, but most Americans are unaware of, and that is that the patient and the doctor are working together in a direct relationship without any uh, in interference from the government or interference from a health plan or insurer, and uh, the costs are typically uh, less because there is no interference, and that means that there's also no third-party payer overhead and bureaucracy and reporting and mandates and all of these things that really don't add to the care of the patient but do add to the cost of care because this is what doctors all over the country and nurses and their staff are all doing when they deal with third-party payers. Absolutely. So the wedge, So the wedge is really meant to draw the public's attention to the fact that it can be done uh, cheaper, it can be done more personally, and it can be done in complete confidence that their medical records aren't going to go anywhere when they use this kind of practice. And this is a way back to affordability for all of healthcare in the country. So uh, if you join the wedge, does that mean, Twyla, that you have to get out of third-party activity completely or just sort of be open to accepting those patients and sort of build it gradually, or does it require a complete sort of switchover? Well, we drew a bright line because we know where we want the the entire uh, healthcare system to go, which is back to freedom. And because uh, practices who have insurance or government, any piece of insurance or government, uh, often are required under the contract or under, you know, Medicare, Medicaid to share information not only on the Medicare, Medicaid patients, uh, but also on all the rest of their patients, just like, you know, MACRA. And so we, um, we drew a bright line and said these, uh, these practices have to be really, truly third-party payer-free, not just part of their practice, but all of their practice, because this is where we believe that the country has to go to get back to freedom. So it makes it a little slower for us to grow because we know that there are lots of practices that are, you know, putting their uh, toe in the water of direct pay or they've got, you know, a piece of it here or they'll, they'll take, you know, cash over there or whatever. But we know where we want to go. And if you look at jointhewedge.com and and just look at our, our one pager in the, in the facts, the FAQ, just look at that overview and you can see the diagrams where we show that we envision a completely different future, which is not different from what we've had in the history of this country. It is what we had, though, before managed care and before Medicare, and that was uh, three direct contractual relationships. So on that flyer, on that one pager, you'll see a triangle with the payer on the top and the patient and the, bo- and the doctor on the other two bottom points, and that's where we're at today with this triangle where everything goes sort of ring around the rosy and nobody knows what's going to happen, but the payer is always in control. We want to disassemble, use the wedge to disassemble those three lines of the triangle into three contractual relationships just like it used to be. Uh, be in those contractual relationships, which are patient to doctor, patient to hospital, patient to insurer, the insurer is actually an indemnity policy, and that indemnity policy pays the patient who then pays the doctor in the hospital. And, um, oh, I don't know, maybe several months ago I was talking to somebody who's nearly in his 80s, and when he heard about the wedge and he was listening to the presentation, he said, well, 
That's how it used to be. I can't see that. <laughs> he said in, in the early 70s, he said he had some heart condition and he needed heart surgery. So his indemnity policy paid him, sent him a check for $68,000, and he used that to pay his doctor in his hospital. Nobody interfered. Nobody told him which doctor he could use or, you know, which pain medication or, you know, which procedure or which implant or, you know, whatever he had done. There was nobody else except him and the doctor making these decisions. And, of course, there was a set amount that the insurance company, you know, had for this kind of a, you know, procedure, and they just sent it to him, and then he paid, and it was simple. That's what he said. It was so simple. Well, exactly, and that's that does so many good things, right? And, and you, you and I both know this. That first off, the, the money is the patient's money, right? Uh, and so they are driven to exert the same downward pressure on prices that people do, customers do in every single other segment of the economy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's why a new Ford doesn't cost a hundred thousand dollars, or a flat screen TV doesn't cost ten thousand dollars because at those prices they wouldn't sell. Uh, in healthcare, as you already know, the, the, with with the prices hidden in the triangle, um, you know those prices are are free to go up, and patients can shop. So it it, it makes perfect sense, and the providers win because, the, as you just said, the overhead goes down because we don't have to hire an army of claims experts to you know clean these claims, pursue these claims, appeal these claims. Um, so yes, it's a it's a thing of beauty that makes perfect sense, Twyla. Yes, it's, you know, it's the way we do everything else, and it's so crystal clear, and you can make value decisions, because the fact of the matter is, there are things that are really expensive in uh, in medical care that I think might come down if the patient was paying, because the doctor would have to look at the patient, and the patient would look at the doctor, and they'd talk about the price, and then the company, whoever that company is, it's got, you know, a sky-high price on the drug or the procedure, you know, the... Um, device or whatever, right, they'll start realizing, whoa, (laughs) I'm not selling as many of these as I used to be. Why is this? Because the patient is deciding, you know what, I I can deal, I can find another way to deal with this. Or, you know, I'm going to try a more natural way or I'm going to wait for two years, right? I could have it now, but let me wait until it gets worse or, you know, see what happens. And then I think there will be some patients, too, particularly really um, a lot of older patients, because we see freedom for Medicare. We're working to get freedom for Medicare patients, because uh, rationing is coming in droves as a result of Medicare's unfunded liability, but also the Affordable Care Act and all the rationing strategies that are in that law. Um, but people who are, you know, maybe towards more towards the end of their years, might decide that they aren't going to pay that. They're going to, you know, leave something for their grandchildren. You know, I just think that there are there are different ways that people will start to think when it is their own money. We don't know how they're going to think, and we don't want to tell them how to think. But when it's their own money, they will make different decisions. Absolutely. I mean, that, that makes perfect sense. It's the way to drive costs down. And now we've kind of got uh, with this... This latest legislative failure, I, you know, I think we almost have kind of a push-pull thing going on here because I think, you know, we have seen in the last nine months uh, since the new administration and new Congress has has come to, to power uh, is that uh, even with, you know, the, the White House and both houses, 
that, that government is completely ineffectual in dealing with this. Government's not going to save us. So if they're not going to save us, who's going to do it? Well, it's going to be people like you coming up with ideas like this um, that operate completely outside, that, that don't require legislation that forces people to do it. We can show the value and have people make their own choices to come and do it. Right, and and uh, just so your uh, listeners know, in the wedge, you know, it's for people who are uninsured, insured, and government programs, it, it doesn't matter. But at the end of the day, we really want people to end up with lifelong policies. We have ideas for, for instance, um, with the Medicare population, right? When you turn 65, whatever insurance you have, if you get to keep it, if they don't cancel it on you, but... If you get to keep it, it becomes secondary. Medicare becomes primary, and everything has to go through Medicare. Well, there are people who would really like that not to be the case. They would like their better insurance to be their primary, and, and Medicare in the background or not have Medicare at all. But um, when the Clintons were in, in 1993, they did by an executive instruction, not an executive order, just an instruction, just you know, one day, it appeared in the Social Security Operations, no, Procedure Operations yeah, Manual. 30 seconds. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, that you uh, you had to be in Medicare Part A or you'd lose your Social Security. It's not a law. It's not a rule. And so this is the sort of thing where the Trump administration can take this out, and that's what we're trying to do, give them back their freedom. Makes perfect sense. Uh, we've reached the end of segment one. You are listening to the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio with special guest Twyla Brace. Stay with us. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Obamacare is failing, but in order to get back on the right track with health policy, people need to be informed. Obamacarewatch.org is your resource to understand what's happening with this law and what you can do to stay active, stay informed, and make positive change happen. Obamacarewatch.org. Visit us now. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. Karuchek, your host this week. Uh, I alternate weeks with the inimitable Dr. Hal Schertz here in the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. Uh, I am pleased and delighted to have as my special guest today, Twyla Braze, the engineer, the brilliance behind the wedge of healthcare freedom. And as we finished up the last segment, we were just kind of finishing up some of the stuff uh, that, that uh, Twyla is busy with currently. Uh, and you've got some neat things coming up, Twyla. 
Yes, we have. Um, we are part of the Nuts and Bolts DPC. We're helping to sponsor that, and down in uh, Orlando. And so the Wedge of Health Freedom will be on display there. And um, Matt, who's one of our staff, will be down there. Uh, you know, providing question or answers to people's questions, and you know, providing some of our materials, including our one pager, which explains that triangle that I was talking about earlier. And the, into three straight lines, our, our vision for the future of health freedom in this country. Uh, and then on October 24th, we have our special, uh, annual, uh, dinner with a fundraising event. It's a fundraising event and we have Pete Hegseth, who's just a, um, he, he loves freedom. He's a real advocate for freedom. He is a, on Fox News, a co-host of Fox and Friends. And he will be here talking about, um, in the arena. It's a book that he wrote and it really calls people to stay in the arena. And it's, you know, it's a perfect time for us to have him because so many people are upset with Congress and that Congress can't seem to repeal or isn't interested in being repeal, in repealing the law and, uh, they just want to throw up their hands. Well, if you, if you want to have freedom in this country, you cannot afford to throw up your hands. If you want to have a patient-doctor relationship, if you want to, you know, not have somebody else tell you when you can and cannot have health care, you cannot throw up your hands. And so uh, our organization is in the arena. We have strategies to build escape hatches back to freedom, which don't depend on Congress. And so this is a fundraising event for us to keep us uh, move in it, uh, in good stead into 2018 and able to grow the wedge and, and really build these escape hatches no matter what Congress does. So that's October 24th, uh, in Minneapolis, Minnesota with Pete Hagseth and I'll be speaking too. Outstanding. Uh, tell everybody what your website is so people want to go and see that one page summary. Sure. The, um, well, our web, site uh, is cchfreedom.org, cchfreedom.org, and they can just click on the box that says The Wedge, or they can go directly to jointhewedge.com, which takes you to the one-page summary of The Wedge with the triangle. Outstanding. So really neat stuff going on there, and uh, we appreciate you sharing that, uh, Twyla, because that's all really important stuff. And, and Twyla also has, if you don't know already, you do a, a Healthcare Freedom Minute. Um, I don't know if it's weekly or daily, or, or uh, just give everybody a little filler on that. Sure. It's the Health Freedom Minute. Uh, it's kind of funny. It's done um, every day in more than 800 radio stations around the country in 47 states. Oh, you've grown and that I, since the last time. Last time yeah. I heard that number, it was a lot less than that. So yes, you're, you're cooking. So, yes, we are growing it. And it's so funny because somebody has said to me, well, is there that much to talk about in healthcare? <laughs> oh, I could, uh, you know, I could talk a minute. Many, 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 many minutes. It's just that most people can't handle more than one minute at a time or a few minutes. So you have this program, which is once a week, right? And it's to, you know, focus right. on doctors who are involved. But we try to parse out and educate the American public on things they don't even know are happening and really connect the dots in their minds as to, you know, even things like I'm just doing a minute uh, for next week where I'm going to tell them how health plans are not insurance. Health oh, plans. Yeah 
our our uh, socialized medicine under corporate cover, and so you know this kind of thing to make the American public realize that they that uh, insurance has gone away, uh, for, the Affordable Care Act has taken it away, Medicare helped the process towards getting it taken away, but until they start to grasp the realities, they won't take action. If they think they're still a market, if they they think they're still insurance, then they'll think, you know, well, we still have freedom in this country. And so, you know, that's part of what I do with the minute is try to bring truth in a really digestible fashion every day to their radios. <laughs> I suspect your problem is not finding things to fill one minute, but to manage <laughs> to fit it into one minute. That's right, because it's just a few seconds that, you know, you don't have, you don't have very long. Uh, for your listeners, if they want to hear them, they are actually on our homepage, cchfreedom.org. It's right under the slider that has all the uh, pictures going by. And they can look all the way back into the archives, and uh, they can look listen to it as though we're a one-minute podcast, or they can read it. So we have both. Perfect. Um, now, there's one other thing before we move on to the to the Graham Cassidy bill. Uh, there was something that you touched on in the first segment, uh, talking about practices and join the wedge. Because I know that that one of your your big messages, and it's a great message, uh, is about privacy and electronic medical records, and and the fact it, correctly you state that you know once you put these things online, there's really no way to protect the privacy of those records, whether it's you know government. Uh, allowed access or hackers or whatnot. Uh, what, what's for a practice to join the wedge? What do they need to do in terms of of looking at that privacy issue and their own record keeping? So it means that the individual has consent over where the data goes. It means that there's no reporting to the government. There's no hooking up to the state health information exchange. Um, you know, the it's really just kept. Um, private unless the individual says they want it shared somewhere. So if, you know, if uh, laboratories or, you know, x-rays, that sort of thing, if that requires you to hook up to the grid, then that wouldn't work well. If it is a, you know, a dedicated line, right, that's a whole different thing. But, um, But when it comes to putting it all on the grid, so the federal government is creating a national health information exchange. Mm-hmm. They call it the e-health exchange. And when you look at their pictures of it, it's all run through the Internet and nodes that communicate with each other through the Internet. But uh, that is a specific decision to get onto that kind of, um, uh, uh, you know, communication system. And so it really has to do with, you know, keeping off the grid. You can have an electronic health record. It's just, you know, not hooking it up to the grid. Gotcha. Understood. Okay. So let's move on to the official topic of the day, which is to sort of look at the, you know, now, uh, you know, legislatively deceased Graham Cassidy uh, uh, bill. Uh, I guess the big message of this bill and you you heard uh, Senator Cassidy at the at the top of the hour sort of uh, you know sell this idea was that that it was going to radically change the structure of how federal money for Medicaid passes to the states uh, and and that this was going to you know take power out of Washington and give it back to the states and sort of do a lot of allegedly neat things. Um, what's your take on the whole situation? So we put, we didn't put it on our website, but we put it on our uh, Facebook page, uh, 10 Reasons Why Graham Cassidy is Still Federal Control and Not State Control. Uh, the, 
There is $1.2 trillion that would be given to the states to essentially uh, come up with new ways of, of uh, doing what they do in their state, and it, it was called the Market-Based Healthcare Grant Program. But it still had tons of strings attached. Uh, it would be uh, a six-year grant. It would go from $190 billion in 2026 to zero in 2027. And do you know what that would cause? <laughs> that would cause the states to go right to the federal government and say, hey, we used all that money that you gave us to create these programs. You can't drop us now. And so this is, you know, this a, a completely uh, new federal funding stream of billions, trillions of dollars far into the future. This money would be used, for instance, to create programs that would essentially put the individual market into a new government program. It would create a new government program for the middle and upper class. Anyone who buys their own health insurance uh, could be put into a reinsurance program where uh, the taxpayers fund a majority of their costs, and the health plans are basically just running it. Um, and um, and it would have kept all the exchanges in place and actually required, uh, uh, you know, for implementation, required those exchanges to stay in place. And it would, they you know, they offered a um, catastrophic policy, so they said, but it would be an Obamacare catastrophic policy. So you'd have to buy it from a health plan, not from an indemnity company, which is what catastrophic insurance truly comes from, uh, which the Affordable Care Act prohibited. And um, so it would be an Obamacare-type policy in a single pool, single risk pool. So I don't know, you know if your listeners understand that, but it means that everybody who buys their own policy would be in the same pool with everyone with uninsurable pre-existing conditions. This is, why, this is what Obamacare requires. This is why everybody who's buying their own health insurance have found it to become unaffordable, and lots of them have just dropped it, right? Because sure. of this single risk pool requirement, and this bill would keep the single risk pool requirement. So as much as they like to talk about, oh, well, you'll have now the option for a catastrophic policy, well, it really wouldn't be catastrophic because a catastrophic policy is where all the people who are in that policy do not have uninsurable conditions. They're all hoping they don't get one of those catastrophic conditions. They don't have one. They're hoping that they don't get one. It's true insurance. It's, you know, you're insuring against the financial disaster of a catastrophic condition. You don't have it yet. It's like, you know, home insurance. Your house right. is not yet burning down. Right. right. It's a situation <laughs> where claims are both large and rare, and that, not, right. you know, like like I said, like car and, and homeowners insurance and that kind of thing. So, uh, so if I understand correctly, then Twyla, this, although on the surface this appears to only affect Medicaid, it actually affects far more than that. It, it, it oh, might... it's yes, it's far, yes, it's far more. They actually had three new uh, funding programs. There was like twenty five billion for the health plans, uh, and there was this one point. Two trillion dollar new program, and then there was eleven billion for something. I'm just not just not coming to me what that eleven billion was for. Uh, but no, it was far. It was far reaching. And you know, you love the idea of them sending it back to the states if they really did. But all they have to do to send it back to the states is do a real repeal. And there are real repeal bills. There's uh, uh, HR 1718. It's a two page bill. And it simply says the, the Patient and Protection and Affordable Care Act and it's and the other act that was amended to it a week later. 
are repealed. End of statement. 2,700 pages of law gone, all the 20,000-plus pages of regulations gone. That's a real repeal. Every, they, they don't even repeal the individual mandate or the employer mandate. They merely zero the, down the penalties. So well, that, that's a requirement of reconciliation, is it not? I mean, that... That's right. But see, that is why they should put a real repeal. I don't care if it takes 60 votes. Put a real repeal up. They've never done it. They no. have never done it. And you have no idea. I, I told this, uh, I was talking to a staffer in, in leadership uh, one of the last times I was in D.C., and I, and he said, well, you know, we've done all these repeals. And I said, well, you know, not really. And no. I said, and you haven't done one with Trump That's as right. president. That's right. Well, and all those other ones oh, were just okay. kind of playing around. Well, I, oh, okay. We've, uh, we've reached the end of the segment. You're listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. Stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome once again to the Doctor's Lounge, broadcast every Thursday morning on America's Web Radio. Dr. Mike Karuchak here, your host for this week, alternating weeks with the inimitable Dr. Hal Schertz. Uh, thank you once again for your listenership. We have passed the three-year mark on the Doctor's Lounge. I think it was June the 12th, uh, 2014 was our first broadcast, and we've come a long way since then. We appreciate your continuing to listen to our message uh, sponsored by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation. We support free market solutions for the problems that face our health care system. So as we sit here in the midsummer, lazy, crazy, hazy days, uh, the U.S. Congress is thank heaven, on recess, where hopefully they can't do any more damage. Uh, we're getting impatient watching them do their best to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory uh, regarding the appeal, appeal of Obamacare. And quite frankly, all of the dialogue 
first on the House bill and then on the Senate bill, has left my brain, and maybe yours too, just a little bit numb, a little bit overwhelmed, and leaving me at least sort of searching for a, a, a relevant direction to take the discussion because you know I thought about talking about the Senate version of the bill and and some of the stuff going on. Uh, there is a couple of interesting things going on. I think it's it's intriguing Ted Cruz's uh, recent proposal that uh, as long as an insurance company offers one Obamacare compliant minimum essential benefits option, that they should be free to offer uh, options outside of Obamacare. That's interesting. Now, you know, we might be able to say if you like your Obamacare, you can keep it, but at least give, uh, you know, other options the ability to have life. Uh, beyond that, I'm kind of numb with it all, right? We have two approaches. One says, look, uh, with the election of Donald Trump, the promise was endorsed, made, and, and accepted to repeal Obamacare, period. We have the other approach that says, look, politics is the art of the possible, not the perfect. And a half a loaf of bread is better than none, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that we should accept the limits of reconciliation and settle for Obamacare light, as some people call it. Um, you know, some tweaking around the edges as opposed to changing the fundamental approach. That's about as far as I can think about that right now because this has just become such a mind numbing thing. And I don't know how to affect. Uh, or influence the the dialogue if you if you try going a full frontal assault talking about this further. So I thought this week we would try to take the the, the discussion in another direction, and instead of trying to take on the whole thing, let's just take on a piece of it. Look look to current events to see if we can't find something, and I think I did. Uh, and hopefully between the two topics that we have chosen for this week, one to talk about single payer with respect to uh, the young, uh, unfortunate infant Charlie Gard over in the United Kingdom. And if we have time, we may talk a little bit later in the show about uh, some recent data that's come out uh, regarding the CMS programs that uh, penalize hospitals for excessive readmissions based on certain diagnoses, in this particular case, myocardial infarction or a heart attack. But let's start with the first topic, which is to talk about young Charlie Gard and his predicament in the United Kingdom. And I want to tie this back to something I was involved with earlier in the year, which was the CNN debate between Bernie Sanders and Ted Cruz. And for those of you that didn't hear some of those shows earlier in the year, I had the privilege of being invited by CNN to be in the audience and ask a question. In the end, I was denied that privilege. Um, that's fine. So go showbiz, and who knows? It may have been a blessing in disguise. You never know. It, it would have been a high-risk, high-reward, potentially, uh, event to occur, uh, but uh, Bernie was loaded for bear. Uh, I was prepared. I don't know that a confrontation necessarily would have been a good thing or not, especially on national television. That's a little daunting. Um, but this whole thing with Charlie Gard uh, has sort of brought up – some of those issues back because there was a particular uh, audience member who was invited like I was to come ask a question. This was a concerned father uh, by the name of Cole Gelrod who was brought to ask a question regarding his infant daughter. 
So let's go ahead and replay that and give you a sense of what that was like. Here we go. Welcome back to the CNN debate on the future of Obamacare. Let's turn now to the rise in prescription drug costs. For that, I want to bring in Cole Gelrod. He comes from Denver, Colorado. He's a father of two whose daughter, Juniper, requires medication that would cost $900 a month without Medicaid. Cole? Thank you. My three-year-old daughter was born with an undiagnosed severe heart defect and required a heart transplant when she was only seven months old. Unfortunately for us and families like ours, our employer-provided insurance does not cover the most vital of my daughter's life-saving prescriptions. This luckily hasn't been an unbearable financial burden for my family because of Obamacare and particularly the Medicaid expansion. Senator Cruz, regardless of what happens with health care reform, how do you plan to address the rising costs of prescription drugs? Additionally, how would you like to address a health care system where insurance companies can choose to not cover drugs that people like my daughter need to live? Well, th- okay, so uh, I'm not going to play Ted Cruz's response to that because what I really want to talk about is Bernie Sanders' position, uh, and most of you probably know this, his position uh, uh, advocating universal health care, Medicare for all, he calls it. So this was this was not, again, full disclosure, I'm going to play something from Bernie Sanders from that night. What I'm about to play you, he did say this evening, it was not in response to Mr. Gelrod's question. It was played earlier in the evening, but I, I again, I, I'm not going to pull a mainstream media stunt here. This is all full disclosure. I don't think it's unreasonable, and I don't think it's a misrepresentation to say that Senator Sanders would respond to this father's question in this manner. Now, if you were in Canada, you know what? You would get the health care that you needed. If you were in the UK, France, Germany, Scandinavia, you would get the health care you need as a right of being a citizen in this country. Okay, let's take that apart. Right? If you were a patient in the UK, he listed a number of countries, but listed the United Kingdom, he said that you would get the health care you need as a citizen of that country. So we have an infant child in the United States who got her heart transplant but is now on expensive medication. And this father, rightly so, probably lays awake, sleep with his eyes. I sure as heck would as a dad myself, uh, worrying about the welfare of his child and worrying if he was going to be able to get her the care that she needed on an ongoing basis because obviously the heart transplant is just the beginning. It's just a first battle in a long war. So my, my heart is, is with this dad for sure. Bernie would say, and again, I, I played that and it wasn't a direct response to this question, but I'm sure, I don't think it's a misrepresentation, that Bernie would say, well, gosh, if we had Medicare for all, if we had universal health care, your child would get the care they need. And he specifically listed the United Kingdom where a – I don't want to say a similar infant, but a child with a big medical problem. I think probably far bigger than this, this, uh, this daughter that, uh, that, that got the heart transplant. Um, but, uh, but Charlie Gard is in a tough bind. Um, he has an illness for which there is no known cure. Uh, and But I think there are enough similarities for me to draw this parallel. So let me see if I can do that. So let's talk about who Charlie Gard is. Charlie Gard's a young infant boy who was born August 4th, 2016. And as I understand it from the research that I have done to prepare for this broadcast, initially he was fine. 
And then within a month or two, things started to happen to make it clear that things were wrong, that something wasn't right. Uh, and he was given medical care. He had a workup uh, and was discovered to have a diagnosis, a profoundly rare diagnosis called mitochondrial DNA depletion syndrome. Now, what is that? Well, to understand that, I need to take you back to uh, what's a nightmare in just about everybody's lives called high school biology class. When you were in high school biology class, maybe even junior high school biology class, maybe more than once, uh, you were subjected to learning the anatomy of a cell. And you'll learn about all this stuff, right? There was the nucleus, there was the cytoplasm, there's the cell membrane, then there was a whole list of other stuff that was hellish to memorize. Uh, and once you took the test, you forgot about it forever, unless you're in a job like mine where it's your job to sort of know this stuff. So one of those structures that the vast majority of you uh, learned for the test and then forgot was a structure called the mitochondria. So what is a mitochondrion? Well, it is the energy source of a cell. Uh, it is the battery in the electric car. It is the gas tank in the engine in a gas-powered car. Uh, it is the thing from which all energy for cellular activity is derived. Uh, it's the power source, if you will. And it turns out that mitochondria have their own DNA, right? You remember from the nightmare of biology class, most of the cell DNA is in the nucleus. But it turns out that the mitochondria has, what, 36 genes of its own? that are independently inherited, transmitted to subsequent generations. And so they can undergo genetic mutations independent of the rest of your DNA. Uh, it turns out, according to just some primitive research, very, very extremely rare, a couple of reports say only 16 children have ever been documented with this. Um, but the problem is that as soon as uh, – your mitochondria function at a very, very low level because of a genetic defect in the mitochondrial DNA. And so they're, only, they're not able to put out nearly as much energy as a person needs to live. So tissues that have high energy consumption, muscles, brain, liver, um, don't do well. So your muscles get weak. Your diaphragm gets weak. You can't breathe. you got to go on a ventilator. Um, your brain can't function. Uh, eventually, it undergoes structural damage, uh, and the liver can be affected as well. And so it, it's either fatal uh, starting in infancy. Uh, you know, there's been some documented folks of, uh, you know, cases of, of folks living longer. But unfortunately, Charlie is in a bad way, and apparently he's got a lot of brain damage. And what has happened in recent weeks um, is that Earlier this year, um, his doctors uh, petitioned the courts, um, the family division of the High Court of England and Wales, uh, were petitioned that Charlie should be allowed to die. And the court ruled in favor of the hospital and the caregivers uh, that Charlie should be allowed to die by the withdrawal of life support. Uh, the parents appealed the ruling. Uh, the ruling was upheld um, the, um, at the UK Supreme Court. Uh, a final legal appeal was made to the European Court of Human Rights, uh, and they refused to hear the case, saying that they had nothing to add. Now, while this was all going on, Charlie's parents 
being, I think, pretty resourceful, uh, were able to crowdsource, do a GoFundMe campaign, and raise $1.7 million on their own. We'll pick this up next segment. You're listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on The Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. Karuchak, your host this week. Thanks so much for listening once again. Uh, we are talking this week about something different, right? We're getting away from Obamacare repeal. What's the House doing? What's the Senate doing? They're on recess I decided we're going to take a recess from that particular conversation and take this in a different but related direction. Uh, We all know that as part of the acknowledged implosion of Obamacare that folks on the big government side of this issue say, well, Obamacare is failing because it didn't go far enough. We need a public option. We need single payer. We need Medicare for all. And a particular case of a young child named Charlie Gard in the United Kingdom where, of course, they have the National Health Service, which is a single-payer system, right? This would be Bernie Sanders' dream, probably Barack Obama's dream, Don Berwick's dream. Lots of folks think this is truly the way to go. There is this young child, Charlie Gard, and we're talking about his dilemma, his predicament, and drawing some parallels between that and um, one of the patients or patient's parents who was allowed to ask a question during a CNN debate back in February about their child, who in much better shape than Charlie Gard, but uh, with a heart transplant. But the question was, how do you, what's the right way for society to respond to, in this particular case, young children, infants with severe illnesses that will be very expensive to take care of? What's the response of a single payer system to that? So we're talking about the details of, of Charlie Gard's predicament. So young Charlie Gard, he is uh, coming up on his first birthday, which will be August 1st, 2017, uh, just past his 11-month birthday, July 4th, and talking about his uh, plight with a condition called mitochondrial DNA depletion syndrome, which in a nutshell is a devastating disease uh, that is likely to take his life as an infant regardless of what is done, but – we have a real dilemma here in how the National Health Service has responded to this because they have decided that Charlie must die, um, that life support will be withdrawn. Uh, you know, his, his muscles are too weak for him to breathe on his own. And so, you know, once they turn the ventilator off, pull the plug, if you will, uh, the odds of his surviving, I would 
guess more than a few hours with a weak diaphragm, um, you know, not to mention a badly damaged brain and whatnot, possibly liver as well. Um, that, that his prognosis is, is extremely poor. Even now you, you pull the plug and I, I think his death is inevitable. And the, uh, the, the high court of England, the family division of the high court of England initially ruled on the 11th of April that, uh, Charlie should be allowed to die. Uh, that appeal was taken to the uh, UK Supreme Court, which upheld the lower court's ruling. Uh, a final legal appeal was made to the European Court of Human Rights, who refused to hear the case. And that's where we kind of left the story at the end of the last segment. Uh, there is, of course, more to the story, and the, the details continue to unfold even as we speak. Um, the The plug was supposed to be pulled this past weekend. Uh, they got, I guess, a stay of execution, if you will. Uh, and as far as we know, at this point, at the time we're doing this broadcast, he's still alive. Um, but uh, that's not going to last long. Now, the, the bigger details to to emphasize is, number one, the parents raised $1.7 million to pay for Charlie's care. Did a GoFundMe thing. You know, certainly, you know, to be able to raise that kind of money, I think, is a, a an interesting uh, reflection of public opinion on this. Um, but in spite of the fact that the money is available, the, 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 the courts have refused to allow him to survive. There are some other things that have happened as well. Um, Donald Trump tweeted that that child was welcome in the United States and a hospital here on our side of the pond has volunteered to take care of Charlie for free. Now, no one's identified that hospital yet, and I will resist the temptation to conjecture in public as to why that is. But there is a hospital here in the States somewhere that has offered to take care of Charlie. Uh, in addition, um, the Vatican, right, the Bambino Gesù Hospital in Rome, uh, has offered to uh, provide care to Charlie. And... The UK has refused both of those offers, all three of those offers if you count Trump's as separate. So we have at least two offers to care for the child for free, and we have parents who have raised $1.7 million to continue their child's care. And in spite of that, the UK has refused. Now, this baffles me because you know this this goes even beyond the conversation we normally have about single payer single payer right we say single payer will lead to rationing right because the advocates of single payer say well resources are limited right you read any article and i've got one here written by one ezekiel emmanuel and we're going to talk about that if you know who he is about limited resources in healthcare, scarcity is the mother of allocation. Right, that's the opening sentence of this. So, you know, single payer systems presume a scarcity of resources and say that things must be rationed. And in this particular case, there is no scarcity of resources. Right, there is a a glut 
of resources here. We got $1.7 million in cash sitting in the bank somewhere. We have a, an American hospital willing to take care of this child for free. We have an Italian hospital willing to take care of this child for free. Uh, you know, 1.7 million is more than enough money to care for that child for a year. If you look up statistics, it costs about 1.2 million dollars to care for a heart transplant in the United States. And that's a 2014 statistic. So that number may be up a bit, but the bottom line is 1.7 million dollars would probably cover almost, if not all of the bill for a year for young Charlie. And in spite of that, the high courts in the UK have decided this child must die. And I am baffled as to why this would be. And I think it I, – I, I guess I'm not entirely baffled. I'm going to, of course, give you my theory on this. But I think it has to do with the psychology of what happens when you put folks in charge of a single-payer system – and they get used to making these judgments on God's behalf. And I, I, I don't know what that does to you psychologically, but I think this is some insights that a judge has been empowered to decide against the will of this child's parents that this child needs to quote-unquote die with dignity – as opposed to getting treated. And apparently, even the British Prime Minister has voiced her support for this decision. And apparently, uh, he, she and Donald Trump may or may not discuss this at the upcoming summit over in Europe. Um, but it, it, is, it is heartbreaking to read this stuff. I mean, all they have to do is say yes to let an ambulance back up to their emergency room entrance, take this child and put him on a portable ventilator, wheel him to the ambulance, and wave goodbye. Right? The rest is paid for. And so it, it, it's, it, it blows my mind. And there are, there are other experts here. I've got some quotes. This is just kind of, uh, you know, here's a British professor, Robert Winston, well-known fertility expert, says... <laughs> These interferences from the Vatican and from Donald Trump seem to me to be extremely unhelpful and very cruel, actually. Okay, I, I don't get how those would be cruel. Um, he said Wednesday on Good Morning Britain that he does not believe the doctors in London are trying to assert authority, but rather, quote, they're trying to make an ethical decision based on the judgment of what they know. And ultimately, I think we have to respect what their knowledge is. If they say this mutation is so severe that really this is something that would be even more cruel to have this child travel, that is something which I think one really has to respect. Really? Really? What about respect for the parents? What about respect for their wishes and their intentions? I, I think this is – and then, of course, he waffles and says, well, the parents should be allowed to make that decision, but that's not really what he said. So, you know, this is a, this is a very, I, this, I think this says a lot about the psychology of folks who are in this position to make these decisions. That even in the face of having the funding available, 
You know, there's a lot of, you know, we're going to talk in the next segment about the response on both sides of the aisle, both sides of the issue here in terms of what folks are saying, uh, what, you know, the left and progressive and big government folks are saying versus what uh, folks who favor smaller, smaller government are saying. Um, but it, 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 it is extremely frightening to me that we could allow something like this to happen. And this circles back. Right, because this is why I started this whole thing with the CNN segment, and started this with you know an appropriately concerned father. I think that you know any any parent would identify with uh, you know one Cole Gelrod um, being concerned about his daughter here in the United States who had a heart transplant. But to me, it is a very frightening and slippery slope because if you have one person. Or a group of persons who is on a panel uh, who can look at cases like this and decide, regardless of money, apparently, right? That's the thing that makes this so crazy is that this is not even about money anymore. This isn't about what Ezekiel Emanuel talks about with his complete live system, which we will get into. Um, that 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 you know that, that the resources aren't appropriately allocated that society would benefit from some other allocation of resources, right? That's what the conversation generally devolves down to is to which life is more worthy with limited funds. This doesn't even have anything to do with that because the money is there. It's there three times over. We have two hospitals willing to do it for free, and they got $1.7 million in the bank, which easily covers the first year of care. And yet these folks say, no. No, I, and, and it's, I think they might be embarrassed maybe. I don't know. I'm guessing. I'm sort of ad-libbing this. Maybe they're embarrassed that, that you know, the whole world has come up and said, no, you're wrong. We'll, we'll, we'll take this problem out of your hands. It's kind of like they're fired. right? If they make a decision say, no, we think this child must die, and Italy says, no, no, we'll take him. The United States says, no, no, we'll take him, and a gazillion people who gave them money on the GoFundMe campaign says, no, 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 no we'll pay for it. If you won't, we will. You know, that, that may be a little bit – I don't know. Kind of like you've been second guessed. You know, you've been you've been pulled from the game. You know, you were the starting pitcher, but you know, you didn't do so well. So here comes the relief. We got an Italian hospital, American hospital, and a zillion people that gave money. All of whom say you, you know, on the family division of the High Court of England um, or the UK Supreme Court, you guys were wrong. And I'm not sure they can take that. Um, you are listening to the Doctors Lounge on America's Web Radio. Stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.